You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews. Welcome to today's episode of the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Cozart, and I am so excited to have Dr. Nicole Early with us today. Dr. Early graduated from the University of Florida College of Pharmacy and completed a pharmacy practice residency and geriatric pharmacy residency. She is now associate professor at Midwestern University College of Pharmacy in Glendale, Arizona, and she precepts students and residents on a hospice rotation with Banner Hospice and Home Care. In addition to her clinical work, Nicole teaches a geriatric selective at Midwestern, and her areas of interest include geriatrics, ambulatory care, and scholarship of teaching and learning. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Early. Do you want to tell us a little about yourself? Well, thank you for that introduction. I am currently practicing in a hospice site, but I have previous experiences with the VA in an ambulatory care setting and then in long-term care. And one of the disease states that I have seen across all of those settings would be COPD. And so one of my tasks when I joined the editorial board of the senior care pharmacist was to design a topic series. And that's kind of how this topic series came to be and a little bit about me. Thank you so much for that. So I know most of us in the world of pharmacy are aware that the worldwide impact of COPD is substantial. And so with the 2023 changes in management recommendations, this is a very timely topic for our journal and the podcast. So we are grateful to have you here to talk us through that. So let's start a little by getting back to the basics. So we know the 2023 report redefined COPD and associated exacerbations. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yes, I think those are key changes in the 2023 report. So one of the big things was that the authors proposed a new diagnosis of COPD to highlight the variety of ways that the condition can present. So I'm going to read this to you just so that way I can get it exactly right with what the authors intended. The new proposed definition is that COPD is a heterogeneous lung condition characterized by chronic respiratory symptoms, including dyspnea, cough, and sputum, due to changes in the airway like bronchitis or alveoli in in the case of emphysema. So that causes a persistent and progressive airflow obstruction. The authors also added a table to classify patients based upon susceptibility, exposure, and life course, really, again, highlighting that heterogeneity of this condition. In terms of the definition for exacerbation, the authors felt that the previous definition was too vague in terms of the timeline over which we're looking at those symptoms worsening. And so in the new definition, which is an event characterized by increased dyspnea and or cough and sputum that worsens in less than 14 days, and it may be accompanied by tachypnea and or tachycardia and is often associated with increased inflammation that's caused by infection, pollution, or another insult to the airways. So again, the big thing here was focusing on that time frame of less than 14 days. Because what they wanted to highlight was that in an exacerbation, we're looking at those symptoms worsening over a short time period. And so in the case of a long-term increase in symptoms, this should be called disease progression as opposed to an exacerbation. 
Thank you so much for those clarifications. So what about the new severity tool that's now being used for COPD exacerbations? How has that part changed this year? Oh, this is a great update for the 2023 guidelines. And so what they wanted to do was highlight the importance of exacerbations in this tool. And so in the 2023 guidelines, they changed the tool from an A, B, C, D patient assessment to an A, B, E assessment tool. And in this tool, they didn't make major changes to groups A and B. So those are going to be our patients that have not had exacerbations and it divides them based upon their symptoms. However, they merged the C and D groups to form the single E group in the new assessment tool. And so, again, this is to really highlight the importance of exacerbations and in managing those patients differently and with less of a focus on what those symptoms look like. All right. Those are some great points that you've gone through as far as how things have changed. What other things do you think should be highlighted from the 2023 guidelines? Yeah, I think in terms of the management for stable COPD, they really highlight the preference for using a combination um, long-acting muscarinic antagonist or LAMA and a long-acting beta agonist or LABA. So a high symptom burden of dyspnea has been seen to persist in those patients who are using monotherapy. And as a result, they're really focusing on that combo therapy for the initial management. Additionally, for patients in the group that are in B and E, the guidelines outright state that we should use a combo LABA-LAMA for treatment of those. One of the other big changes is that the guidelines now state that LABA-inhaled corticosteroid combinations should not be encouraged in COPD. So this has been removed from the recommended initial treatments. We've seen a move away from those steroids in the past. However, this is the removal of those from the initial treatment options. And then I did want to highlight that there are times when we recommend triple therapy with the LABA, LAMA, and ICS for patients in group E if they have elevated levels of blood eosinophils, specifically in the guidelines above 300 cells, because of the positive effect of triple treatment on mortality in this subgroup. There is some gray area between when eosinophils fall between 100 and 300, where the ICS might have a place in practice for some patients, but the authors really highlighted that we need some further evaluation. So those are probably three of the big treatment ones that I think would be important for pharmacists to keep in mind. Perfect. Thank you for highlighting some of those things for us. So as we know, senior care pharmacists can do so much to help our patients with COPD. So what ways can we impact patient care for the better in the hospital setting? I think this is a great question. One of the really cool things about COPD is that we are going to see it across all of the different settings, but our pharmacists that are based in the hospital are really in a key place to optimize that medication therapy, specifically in patients who are admitted for an exacerbation or patients who are there and have a comorbid diagnosis of COPD, even if that's not the initial thing that brought them into the hospital. So one of the big things is making sure that we're using those appropriate treatment options that we talked about with those changes. So For a lot of our patients, that's going to be a combination of LABA and LAMA. And then limiting the use of those steroids in patients who do not have elevated eosinophil counts. 
Another key area that I could see a pharmacist playing a huge role, especially if we are making changes to their medications, is for the pharmacist to be providing counseling on that inhaler technique at discharge. A lot of our pharmacists in the hospital setting will have some type of smoking cessation that they can talk about with current smokers. So this would be another role of the pharmacist with our COPD patients. And then obviously looking at those standard pharmacist (laughs) guidelines that we can do, medication management, looking for adherence concerns, if there's any drug interactions or duplicate therapy, and then providing education about the disease state, medications, inhalers, and even lifestyle changes that might improve those outcomes. Those are some great ideas. I know when I worked in the inpatient setting, there were a lot of those things that I did, especially the patient counseling with inhaler techniques. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So a really good question I know everyone wants to know is, is there data to justify that practice to our employers? Yeah, so I would say that we do have data. Obviously, one of the big things that we look at with COPD is going to be our readmission rates. And so one of the ones I wanted to highlight was published by Jennifer Kim and colleagues in 2021, and they focused on a comprehensive and collaborative pharmacist transitions of care service for underserved patients who were hospitalized with COPD and compared it to usual care. So they had identified a total of 65 patients from their clinic that was were admitted to an affiliated hospital due to an exacerbation. And the study was retrospective and it looked at discharge counseling, medication reconciliation, medication access assistance, so our patients able to get those medications we're recommending or changing their therapy to, adjustments in the regimen and post-discharge long-term follow-up compared to usual care. And so what they found was that in addition to reducing the readmission rates, they also found a cost reduction in the intervention group as compared to usual care and events even before the pharmacist intervention occurred. So we do have evidence that not only in terms of reducing those readmissions, we can see cost benefits as well. Thank you so much for giving us that information. I know many of us love to hear that. So there are lots of us that practice in clinic settings, and so we don't get to be involved in transitions of care on the inpatient side. So let's look at the other side of the picture. What can we do in the world of ambulatory care? Yeah, I think a lot of our roles can be very similar in terms of ambulatory care, depending upon your practice setting. And if you have a collaborative practice agreement, you may not be able to influence those therapy changes as much unless you have the collaborative practice agreement that covers making those adjustments. However, we can still be reviewing those medication lists, making recommendations to physicians if we feel like a combo therapy with lava llama would be more appropriate for a patient or perhaps the patient, it doesn't necessarily need therapy with an ICS. We can try and remove that as well. In addition to patient education, so again, focusing on inhaler technique or a big one that I see consistently across all areas of practice would be adherence. Out in the community setting, we know that patients are going to do what patients want to do. We know that the more medications our patients are taking, the likely chance that they are going to have issues with adhering to those regimens. And so when we see patients at risk for potentially not taking those medications properly or using their device properly, providing that education about the importance of this and how to properly use them. 
again, a smoking cessation role in education and pharmacotherapy. I would say most of the primary care clinics that I have been in have had some type of program or education that we can put on for our current smokers to try and stop that habit to potentially reduce the further progression of COPD. And then in some settings, our clinic pharmacists are going to be able to monitor the disease progression, how frequently those exacerbations are happening and adjust that therapy as needed, and then potentially follow up with patients. So when we've made a change following up with them, if they've been admitted for an exacerbation recently following up in terms of a long-term plan, our clinic pharmacists are going to be better situated for that than those who are practicing in the hospital. Those are definitely some great things that we can be doing. So thank you for that. So obviously on this podcast, we're focusing on how we can care for our senior patients. So what challenges with COPD treatments have you found in the aging population? Oh my goodness. I feel like there's so many to list. So uh, if I go too long, let me know. But (laughs) one of the big ones that I see is that multiple comorbidities often result in polypharmacy, right? We have patients that have COPD in addition to heart conditions, diabetes. And so as I stated earlier, our adherence tends to fall the more medications that we put patients on. And so making sure that we're looking at drug regimens for our patients and making sure that those medications they're on continue to be appropriate, especially as patients age, is going to be a really key role and a key issue that we see in our older adult patients. We may also see that these patients have difficulty navigating the healthcare system, and this can be due to changes in their mobility or their ability to get to appointments, their ability to understand what's happening if they have any type of cognitive impairment or potentially hearing deficiencies. Our patients may also have cognitive or functional impairment. And so in this case, they may not remember if they have taken medications or they may be physically unable to properly utilize inhalers or open their pill box. And so if we see them not using those inhalers properly, we can definitely see an increase in the risk of those exacerbations. And then we also will see a reduced respiratory reserve. And so this can increase the risk of infections and then COPD exacerbations as a whole. So making it more likely that we need to manage these conditions. All right. Well, I really appreciate all of those thoughts. Anything else that you want to leave our audience with today? I just really wanted to touch on the importance of helping our patients who have COPD. This can be a daunting condition for patients. The medications aren't simple pills that we're taking on a certain schedule. They have to be able to use these inhalers. So really empowering our patients to utilize these and then looking at other alternatives. One thing that I didn't touch on, I said maybe they can't use those inhalers properly, but there may become a time, especially in our patients who have more severe comorbidities, when they're really unable to use those inhalers and we have to switch to nebulizer therapy. So the pharmacist would also be in a role to do that. And again, critically evaluating those medication lists for deprescribing opportunities is probably my biggest take home that I could share with the audience. Well, I greatly appreciate you being here with us today and taking time to let us hear a little more from you about what you've been writing about and reading about, you know, lately. So thank you for being here. And that wraps today's episode. Well, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to be here and I enjoyed uh, getting to talk with you. You as well.
You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews.